Good morning, I'm Christine. Uh, I'll be reading today's passage, uh, or today's message. Uh, the scripture comes from uh, John 12, 12 to 16. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The word of the Lord. All right, hello everyone. Good to see you all. It's good to see everyone after heard I had a child. Um, so uh, it hasn't been the most restful sabbatical, but um, or physically restful, I should say. Um, but our second son, Karis, was born healthy January 20th. And so thank you for your prayers and uh, for allowing me to take some time off while uh, he was home and I can be home with my family, with my two kids. And so it's definitely been great to focus on my family, especially with the busyness of ministry sometimes. It's not as easy for pastors to focus on their family. So it's been great to spend time together, to uh, spend Sunday mornings together worshiping, um, uh, watching uh, Bible uh, videos, reading the Bible together, uh, doing catechisms with my son. All those things have been such a blessing for us, and we really can see how God's loving grace has been with us. So again, though, it's great to be back to be able to share God's word, and especially as we approach Easter. And today we're celebrating Palm Sunday, uh, as uh, our brother Nathan just read for us uh, pa- the passage that comes uh, from it in Matthew, and Christine just read from uh, John, the account of the triumphal entry. And it is the week before Easter in the scriptures. It is the day where Jesus enters Jerusalem, and it's actually, uh, compared to other stories in the scriptures, especially stories of Jesus, it's not a a really big story. It's relatively small. It doesn't seem very significant, but uh, we see a lot of significance in it, and there's a reason why we, the church, celebrate Palm Sunday. So let me pray for us, and let's dive into the text and ask the Lord to speak to us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, you are such a good God. Lord, you have shown your grace and mercy upon us continually, Lord. Even during these past two years of the pandemic, we know that it has been a difficult season for many of us. But Lord, we're thankful that we can continue to uh, move forward and our church hopes to open up, Lord. So help us to do that. And help us, Lord, today to be open to hear your word, open our hearts to see uh, the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, may it help us to prepare our hearts to continue to celebrate the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we come together on Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday next week as well, may it be a joyful occasion, Lord, where, yes, we reflect on the brutal death of Christ, but, Lord, we also remember that there is victory for us because of what you have done for us. And, 
And Lord, so help us to reflect on that, to know that, to believe that in our hearts. Lord, that is why we are here, to be reminded of the truth of Jesus Christ each and every week, to believe it over and over and over again when our hearts are prone to wander away and to doubt you in so many ways. So God, may your word speak to us again. May your spirit move in us. And Lord, help us to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, there are many things in life where people or circumstances, uh, life events, often do not meet our expectations. Right? I think that can be said about almost anything in life. Uh, work, right? you may not enjoy the work as much as you thought you would. You may not be enjoying your coworkers as much as you thought. You thought maybe it'd be more fulfilling. You thought it might pay more, possibly. You thought it would be not as tiring or stressful. Um, so that's work. There's also school. Uh, I know that uh, there have been friends who went to college with all these expectations, thinking that it'd be great freedom from their families, being able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, but they get to college and they are immediately realizing it is a lot of work. It is not so easy to do the work when your parents aren't constantly nagging you to do the work. It is also hard to wake up for your 8 a.m. or I don't know what time college classes are for you. Mine were at 8.30, right? It's hard to wake up for those 8.30 classes sometimes. And then you realize it's hard to make friends, right? Maybe you've had the same friends for years and then you go to college, you don't know anybody. And so it's hard to make friends as well. And I knew some people who wanted to transfer after just a semester of being at a school, even though they thought it would be such an amazing experience. Um, a lot of us have these situations in our lives. It could be a disappointing boyfriend or girlfriend, a disappointing friendship, a disappointing relationship. When expectations do not line up, a choice usually has to be made. We either decide to move forward, right, we persevere, or we simply decide to end things, right? decide to give up, go a different path, and try to find something else that will meet our expectations. And so a lot of times when we go through circumstances or people or things that don't meet our expectations, we feel stressed, we feel upset, we feel angry, even resentful because of our circumstances. And I think much of the same can be said about how the Jews felt here as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So again, the story is a relatively simple one, but there is a lot going on here in John. It's just five verses that we read, right? But there's a lot of background here, so let me kind of go into that more. So Jesus is entering Jerusalem at a time when thousands of people are pouring into Jerusalem for the annual Passover celebration. And just a quick reminder of what Passover was. Passover was when the Israelites were freed from slavery from Egypt through Moses, who warned Pharaoh about God's judgment that is to come through the plagues. And so there are 10 of them in total. And Passover commemorates the night where the last plague occurred. The firstborn children of all of Egypt would be killed, including those of the Jews. 
But God, ultimately, he showed mercy and grace to his people by providing a way to be passed over. And that's why it's called Passover. They had to take a lamb that was mature, without blemish. They had to examine it carefully, then for, examine it for a number of days. I think it was 14 days, and they had to kill the lamb. Then they were to apply the blood of the lamb to their doorposts. And when God sees this blood that night, he would pass over them. So this Passover feast was a big deal. It was a big celebration for them. It was one of the most important celebrations for the Jews. And so Jews from all over the area outside of Jerusalem were coming in. So at the time, there were probably around 40, they said they guessed 40,000 people living in Jerusalem. But during the Passover festivities, there'd be six times that number, approximately. So it'd be closer to 240,000 people in the city of Jerusalem. So uh, back in those days, that was a lot of people. That was a ton of people pouring into one place. So Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and all this excitement surrounding Passover is also generating excitement about Jesus coming in, Jesus entering the city as the one who everyone has heard about at that point. Jesus traveled all around that area, and he was performing miracles. He was sharing parables. People were talking about what he's been doing. He was sharing words of wisdom, prophesying about the kingdom of God, making bold statements about who he is as the son of God of God. And this Jesus that everyone is hearing about is coming in on a donkey of all things. And people are shaking palm branches. Hence the name Palm Sunday. So now it may seem like these people must have known what Jesus was about. They must have known that Jesus came to save us for our sins like we know now. Why else would they be saying, Hosanna, blessed is, the, he, the, the, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Hosanna in Hebrew actually means something like, save us, we pray, save us, we pray. And so we see it as the people basically saying, praise him, praise this man. And they are acknowledging that Jesus is the one who will save. But we actually see in verse 16, he says this, or um, it says this, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified. The disciples, the Galilean crowd who shouted Hosanna, the, the, uh, in, Hosanna in Jerusalem, and, and the Jerusalem Jews who eventually would yell, crucify him five days later, none of them really knew what Jesus was actually about. They did not know who Jesus really was and what he would end up and why he would end up dying until after the fact. This was all completely unexpected for them. And it basically flipped everything that they believed about what a Messiah would do. In Zechariah 9, God speaks through the prophet to give a picture of what the promised king would look like. And our text for today from John 12, it shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Zechariah 9. So let me read verses 9 through 11 for us. And it should be on the screen, if you can put that up there as well. 
So let me read it for us. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So the the prophecy actually speaks of a king who would come to Jerusalem on a donkey. So John 12, 15 quotes from Zechariah 9, 9, where the king would come on a donkey. And in the Matthew account of the story, we see a little bit more background about this donkey. We see that Jesus deliberately chooses the donkey. He knows exactly where this donkey is, and he instructs his disciples to go, go get it and bring it to him. And so Jesus here is proving himself to be the king that the Old Testament prophecies speak about, to be the Messiah, the one to actually save his people. But many thought that these prophecies were about bringing back the Davidic kingdom. And that's why the people are preparing the way for him through these palm branches, laying down a path. And it's understandable why they thought this. When you hear this language in Zechariah 9 of bringing peace to the nations, of setting prisoners free, you see how much the Jews have endured for many, many years. And it makes sense that people did not quite understand what Jesus was, in fact, doing. People thought he was bringing back a physical, earthly kingdom, back to the glorious days of David. But Jesus was not here to bring back the Davidic kingdom. But instead, he was bringing back a new kingdom instead. And he is indeed fulfilling the prophecies of old, but not in the way that the people are expecting. So Jesus, in so many ways, he is the unexpected king. He, first of all, rides on a donkey. And what kind of king rides on a donkey? (laughs) Just imagine riding on a... Donkeys are for children to ride on. They're like similar to ponies. You can't enter into battle on a donkey. A donkey can't run fast. What kind of war horse is a donkey? can't overthrow the empire on a donkey. And so he doesn't bring back the kingdom through power, through war, through strength. No, and even when Peter fights back at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is about to be arrested, Jesus orders Peter to stop, even though he already cut someone's ear off. And what does Jesus do after that? He actually heals the ear of his enemy. So instead of bringing war, he proclaims peace to the nations. Instead of destroying his enemies, he allows his enemies to destroy him and to ultimately die this excruciating death on the cross. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem knowing that he would die. He would die so that he would not just be saved, that not just, we would not just be saved in this life, ultimately for all eternity. 
Jesus' death is the ultimate atoning sacrifice that would free people from their sins, the very thing that was destroying us the most, the sins that was destroying our world and our hearts, the very root of evil in this world, and it was his perfect life that made him, in the, per- made him the perfect lamb to be slain for us, to take on the penalty of sin and bring us back to this eternal relationship with him. He came to die for his enemies because of his love for all of us. So that is who Jesus is. He is a lowly, humble king who would come to save us by bringing his kingdom, not necessarily an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom here on earth. So what do we learn from this passage and about this truth that he is our unexpected king? So overarching throughout this, this event, we see that the unexpected king teaches us an unexpected way to live. We are not to live based on what the world declares to be the way to live. No, instead we learn to live how Jesus teaches us to live, how Jesus in fact lived himself. And what I mean by that is the world tells us that life is about living for ourselves, for our own satisfaction, for our own pleasures, for our own fulfillment, whatever that might be, where we can create our very own identity. And ultimately it's all about me. How can my life fulfill me? But Jesus shows us that a life that is centered on us, on me, is a life that is doomed for misery, for not being fulfilled in any way, not being satisfied, not being filled with joy. It is inevitably going to lead to our misery. It's not going to be enough ever. So instead, he calls us to live differently from what the world says, to live counterculturally to what the world says, to basically live the complete opposite life of what the world tells us to do. So I'm going to share three ways he teaches us to live based on what we see today. So first, he teaches us to trust in him as our Lord and Savior. So let's look at the rest of verse 16, which we read a little earlier. So so verse 16 says, <clears throat> His disciples did not understand that these, things at, these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these, these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Again, the disciples did not really understand uh, who Jesus was, but it is only after Jesus resurrects, after he is glorified, that they realize he is truly the Son of God. He is the King who has prophesied about the Scriptures. He is the one who has come to save us. And this salvation is about transforming our hearts, the hearts of his people, so that we will be one with the Father again, so that we will claim victory over sin that has separated us from him. But the world tells us to trust only in ourselves to be our own saviors, to be our own God. Even in the many other religions that are out there, so much of it is based on how successful we are at following the rules, how successful we are at following the rituals. It puts all the power on us. 
But Jesus says no. He says no, you don't put it on yourself. You put it all on Christ. You don't trust in yourself. You don't trust in your own, own abilities, in your own strength, in your own goodness, in your own righteousness. You can only trust in Jesus. That's the only thing that will save you. And it is only trusting in Jesus that we can live like Jesus. Before knowing Christ, we are dead in our sins. But when we know him, we are reborn. We are renewed and made into a new creation. And so becoming a Christian truly changes everything about us. So for me, I grew up in a Christian home, and so you know, when I understood and believed in the gospel, it wasn't as life-changing as some of my friends who came to believe a little bit later in life. I remember I had one friend who came to believe in, in college and, and had no background in church, never went to church before, never heard about, well, he heard about Christianity, but never really knew anything about it. But when he became a Christian, it was so utterly life-changing because it changed everything about how he would think about his life. It made him rethink everything. His values all changed. His morality changed. His desires began to change by the work of the Spirit. And so if some type of change has not happened to us after believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, even for those of us growing up in church, then something is probably missing about our faith. We are lacking it in some way. We are not fully trusting in him in some way. We are holding on to our desires. We are holding on to what we want, what we think is right, what we think is good for us. Because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we really give up our lives for him, our lives really begin to change. The next thing he teaches us is he teaches us to be humble. And I touched on this before, but I want to emphasize this once again. Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem, not in a chariot, not even on a horse, but on a donkey. And a donkey is small, you know, it's ugly. It is not very appealing in many ways. It's just very functional. You use it to carry things that you don't want to carry, right? But it not only fulfills the prophecy, but it also symbolizes how Christ comes in humility. He comes in lowliness. He's the humble king in so many regards. First, by even Jesus coming down to earth, do we not understand how much humility that, that is to, to come down, as, to be born as a baby, to be a person, to be a low con, of a low condition like us, and to live a humble life, not to come in royalty, but to come as, not to come as a prince or a king or, or, or in the line of a king, but instead hanging out with commoners, with ordinary people, and then ultimately dying on the cross. The ultimate humiliation he would endure. Now, I don't mean humiliation as an embarrassment. That's what humiliation usually means. But humiliation can simply mean being reduced to a lower position. Right? And that's where humble comes from. Humble and humiliate have that same meaning in that sense. And so Christ humbles himself to the point of death. Death on a cross 
And he teaches us this humility for ourselves. He teaches us to lower ourselves, to treat others above ourselves, not to judge others based on their status, their appearance, their wealth, their power, but we are to love them, even love our enemies as we love ourselves. In so many ways in our world, um, friendships, relationships, so much of it is just transactional. I remember learning, uh, especially in college, where so many uh, professors and counselors, they talk about how you become successful as a working adult, and they talk about networking. Networking is what it's all about. Networking is the key to success. It doesn't matter how really smart you are. It doesn't matter how qualified you are in your position or how well you do on interviews. A lot of the key to success is just being able to network with people, to know them, to know and have this relationship prior. But I remember hearing this and feeling very disheartened by that and very nervous, actually, because I'm not the type of person to like try to smooth a, a, a room and like network with people and just try to get to know them through random conversation for the sake of networking, for the sake of, oh, I need to think about my job my future career. So I need to get to know all these different people, get their business cards, right? email them. And it just feels fake. It feels insincere and impersonal. And it all just seems like you're just doing it for a job, just to get a job. And how sad is that? We get to know people just to use them for a future purpose. Right? And that is what, we, what is encouraged in our world to use our relationships, our friendships, for your own benefit. Not to love your neighbor just to care for them, expecting nothing in return. But no, we expect something in return. And that's so sad about how the world defines relationships in so many ways. But Jesus, he teaches us, no, we love one another unconditionally because he loves us Unconditionally. Of course, we're not going to be like Jesus and love unconditionally. It's impossible for us. But we are called to care for others, love others, without seeking anything in return. And that's what genuinely caring for someone is, to genuinely care for their benefit. Not because it benefits you, but you want them to succeed. You want them to thrive. You want them to know who Jesus is. You want them to have a good marriage, have a good job, be healthy in their life. We do it because we care about the other person. And good friendships, good relationships, good marriages all have that mutual care that has this love rooted in Christ. And that's what gospel community should be about. That's what church should be about. Church isn't about how people can serve me, but it's about how we can serve one another without expecting anything in return. We do it because we care for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because we are, we are united by the truth of the gospel. And we know that we live for Christ and Christ alone. And so may the Lord help our communities to be the ones where we humble ourselves for the sake of one another, not for our own sake. And lastly, Jesus teaches us to deny ourselves. When Jesus enters Jerusalem to claim his throne as a king, again, he enters not to destroy, not to take over the empire, but he is entering to die. It is 
a walk towards his death. He was delivered up to death on a donkey, not to overthrow the empire again, but instead to be killed by the Roman Empire. Even though he shouldn't have to die, the Son of God, as God incarnate, should not have to die. But he chooses to do so. And Jesus himself, he feels that burden. And he cries out in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, and this is right before he is arrested. And he says this, Father, if you are willing, remove the cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is about to endure the full wrath of God. He is about to bear this huge burden on the cross. And he says, please, may this cup be removed. And the reason is he cannot bear to be separated from the Father. He is one with the Father. Because that is what will happen when Jesus dies. He becomes temporarily separated from the Father. But it is the will of the Father. And, he is, and Jesus is willing to deny himself to make this sacrifice because he knows the will of the Father is good and right. And for us, especially as followers of Christ, we know in many ways that the will of God is good and right even though it may be uncomfortable, it may not be what we want. But unlike Jesus, we choose to do what we shouldn't do. We oftentimes fail to deny ourselves. We choose to turn away from God and run away from him like Jonah did. And we oftentimes do not do what is right and good. There was this missionary once he was sharing, I forget his name, I was trying to remember but um, he shared once that uh, he knew God was calling him to be a missionary. He knew it in every fiber of his being that he was called to do this, but he tried to fight it. And he even tried to totally rebel against God. He thought, you know, I'm just going to do the complete opposite of what I should be doing. Maybe then will I have the, the ability to run away from God. And so he left the church. He fell into horrible sins, sins of debauchery, but a part of him always, always felt guilty. The silent voice of God urging him to turn away from these sins and turn to him. And he later on admitted that he was really afraid. His, uh, he came from a long line of missionaries. His parents and grandparents were also missionaries. And he just felt the pressure of having to live up to that, to that family legacy but God was able to turn his heart, turn this missionary's heart back to him through the saving work of Jesus. So Jesus denied himself because we couldn't deny ourselves. But we can now deny ourselves and make sacrifices and, and, and do what is good and right only because of what Christ has done, only because the Spirit of Christ is in us, and it changes us, it, it sanctifies us. So I share this story not to tell us to be like this missionary or to be like Jesus, but instead, let us turn to Jesus because we cannot, on our own strength, deny ourselves. We want to do what we want to do, 
I know all of us feel that way in some way, where it seems like it's this internal battle where we want to do what is good and right, but we just feel so crippled by pressures around us, by what the world tells us is good and right, by what others are saying about us. But in Christ and what he has done for us, we can learn to turn away from ourselves and turn to him. And he can help us when we come to him. So may we turn to Christ. May may it start right here today. It is only by trusting in him that we can be humble. And it is only in him that we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And it requires the spirit of Christ to transform us. It requires that spirit to work in us, to deny ourselves daily, because it is a daily battle to deny ourselves so that we can obey the will of the Father. So the unexpected king, again, teaches us to live unexpected lives. And he does so by teaching us to trust in his work of salvation. And everything else flows from that work of salvation. It is only when we trust in him that we can truly be humble because we have the spirit of Christ in us. And it is only because of that spirit we can deny ourselves as well to live sacrificially according to his will. And we're fortunate that on this Palm Sunday, we know who Jesus is. It has been revealed to us. The scriptures have shown us who he is. And the crowd was right even though they didn't really understand. The crowd was right. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise God, for Christ has established the kingdom of God, not through war, not through aggression, not through strength, but with a cross. So may the unexpected king help us to live unexpected lives for him, for his glory, and for all to know what he has done, that we have all been saved through the cross as long as we receive his grace for us. So may we believe in this truth here today, and may we rest in Christ, especially this week as we continue to prepare ourselves and and celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you have chosen to do through your Son. And so God, in so many ways, we see in this story of the triumphal entry, Lord, it truly is triumphal, but Lord, it is is triumphant in such an unexpected way. And so, God, we are reminded of who you are through your Son and what he has done for us. How, Lord, we are to live according to how you call us to live because of Jesus. And it is only in Jesus, his saving work, that we can live differently from what the world tells us to do, to turn away from our sins, to deny ourselves of our own passions, our own desires, what we think is good, what we think is right. No, Lord, may we focus on what you say is good and right. So God, may we come to you now and confess, Lord, the ways we put ourselves above others, above you. May we 
confess and repent now, Lord, knowing that, yes, Lord, I, I have chosen myself in so many ways. I've chosen my own comfort, my own pleasures, my own satisfaction without any regard for my neighbor. Lord, help us to be reminded of this so that, Lord, we can turn away from it, that we can bow down before you and say, Lord, we trust in you, we need you, help us, change us. May we live in humility, live caring for one another truly, genuinely. And Lord, may we be able to live and do what is right in our lives according to your word. So Lord, may your spirit help us to do that. Lead us, guide us here today. Speak to us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.